Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Marketing Agency Show, where we explore solutions to the biggest challenges faced by agencies. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Agency Show, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and this is the show for agency owners and agency marketers. We explore the topics that no one else is talking about. So pull up a seat to the table and let's have a great conversation. Today, I'll be joined by Donna Mostrom, a fractional CMO who turned her love of content into a thriving business. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's guest, Donna. To help explore the frontier of working at and growing agencies, here is this week's expert guide. Hey, everyone. I am so excited to be joined by my friend Donna Mostrom today for another exciting adventure in social media agency life. Donna is the CEO and founder of Damn Smart Marketing, and they are a copywriting and content creation firm. Her team helps medium-sized and even large-sized companies scale their content, drive business, drive growth, and usually it's for tech and finance. But as I know, of working with you. You do a few little other things here and there. Donna has 15 years of marketing experience and previously worked with, on the agency side, I should say, with big brands like Hershey's, Starbucks, Walmart, and more. Donna, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to get to chat with you today. Donna and I met, God, I'm trying to think of a year and I'm drawing a blank. What year was that that we met at Social Media Marketing World? 2018. Was it 2018? Okay, so fun, quick story. Donna and I actually met for the first time at Social Media Marketing World woo, in 2018. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe it's been that long. That was so much fun. That was a lot of fun. Pre-pandemic. It was it feels like that. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, hopefully it'll be that fun again next February when the show comes back. But it's, this isn't about the show. This is about you 
So first questions first, I always ask this is, how did you decide to take the leap and create your own marketing agency? Well, I first started this business because it was kind of happenstance. It was really situational. My husband and I were moving around a lot for his job. And it was really hard for me to look for something in marketing if I knew we were just going to be somewhere for six months or a year. And so I didn't have to do take this big leap that I feel like a lot of agency owners do where it's like, oh, I was working two jobs. I didn't have a day job at the time. So I decided to go ahead and on Stephen's suggestion, like, oh, go freelance. So it wasn't, it didn't feel agency-esque. So it was like, oh, let's just do this freelance and you can do digital marketing and broke my golden rule of being all things to all people, digital marketing. And then over the last several years have niched it down, but that's, that's how it came to be. I love it. Everybody has such a great story, no matter how the origin story begins. It's always fascinating to hear how people got their start and shout out Steven, if you're listening or watching. Okay. So then let's jump right into the nitty gritty because we're today we're going to be talking about pricing, right? Which is a very needed conversation. I think we're gonna have to have several conversations around pricing, but how do you approach pricing your services and what factors are most important to you when you're considering how to price something? The pricing side has always been complicated. Like you said, we need to have lots of conversations around that. But for me personally, we sat down, Stephen and I sat down last year and thought about how we wanted to actually price it because what we were currently doing wasn't working. And that was hourly. So we decided, hey, who's our audience? Who do we want our clients to be? And we decided to set in on that medium to large size businesses. And then we wanted to offer premium service. So we priced accordingly. There's that anchor effect where somebody, typically if somebody sees a large number, then they're going to think, oh, there's obviously more value. We try to deliver that value. I would like to say that we actually do deliver that value. But it was something where we didn't, really want to work with small businesses or entrepreneurs anymore because we've done it in the past. And we were branching out and really, like I said, niching down and figuring out what was going to work for us. And I think you asked about the factors that contributed to it It really had to do with lifestyle, how much time we wanted to spend on things. I didn't want to spend my time doing a lot of admin tasks where I was counting hours a lot and having to calculate those hours. That wasn't the best use of my time. And we have two very small children. And so I wanted to be able to spend time with them, spend time with Steven, and also not just feel like I wasn't getting the right return on effort, your ROE or your ROW, your return on work. And that's really what went into how I figured out what the new pricing was. You talked a little bit about the anchor effect. Can you explain that to me and probably a few people who are watching or listening and and why that was also an important factor? So when people see a number or usually let's, let's talk luxury brands. So when people see a number for a luxury brand like Tiffany's or Rolex or something, you know, they associate that with something of high value and that anchors them the first thing they see. So if you throw out a number first and you backtrack, that first number is always going to be what's in your head. Tiffany's has big, you know, luxury brand. Tiffany's has very expensive, nice items. And you start to associate the brand name with that dollar sign or multiple dollar signs, as I would say. And it holds you there. It really anchors you in place. You can't really change after that. That's why I think it's, what do they say? first three seconds, seven seconds when you meet somebody, it's that first impression. It's the exact same anchor effect. If you leave a bad first impression, you're kind of anchored there just like that. I love it. That's so interesting. 
So you talked a little bit about how you started. You just kind of re-ramped your pricing a year ago or so, but let's go back in time and talk about the hourly rate they used to have, because it sounds like your rates and your packages have evolved over time. And I'm just curious, what influenced those changes? Like what made you say, this isn't working? When we first started, I say when we, because Steven's been on this journey with me the whole time, but when I first started pricing out my business, I just wanted business. I just needed clients. And desperation makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do. And you just put a price to get the business. And was, okay, well, this is what other people are charging. This is what they're doing. I was also doing all things digital marketing and saying that I could. And it was just exhausting. That was exhausting. And I wasn't doing it the right way, counting up hours, not really calculating the hours effectively. And that evolution came when I hired a business coach and she talked me through pricing tiers specifically. She talked me through pricing tiers and, hey, what could you do for this amount? And what could you do for this amount? And what could you do for this amount? And how many hours do you want to be spending a week working on clients like this versus clients like that? We went through an ideal customer profile, all of those things. And she said, okay, you have your kind of bottom, your floor pricing, and then you have your what you really want to get from clients. And then you come up with this halo pricing, like a halo product. And she was talking and she's like, you just kind of throw out some number that seems crazy to you. But if it happens, you can deliver on it. Whatever the product is or service or whatever it is that you're offering, you can deliver on it. And she called it this halo product. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I went back through and I was like, okay, well, what's, What's my halo product? What's my number? And it was this full service, this idea of full service. I called it unlimited at the time. And I got laughed at and told I'm never supposed to do what, say the word unlimited. <laughs> then when you're writing a corporate contract, like a 34 or 35 page master services agreement, and it has all of the, what you're delivering, you're like, oh, I really can't just say unlimited here. You know, you have some parameters around it, but companies weren't flinching at the number. And I had flinched at even saying the number. And I just wanted them to get that second package, that middle package. I was like, this is really where I want to be. And I threw out this Halo package. And I mean, I got three customers off the bat right from that Halo package. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. But again, it's that premium number. It's that anchor. And I I didn't falter with that. But I've had some, I've had what I would say some exceptions. Recently, I took on a new client that I had worked with last year. They hired me to work with them. Then they left the company, went to another company and reached out and said, Hey, I want to work with you again. We're in a growth stage. I talked to him about my new, like my new rate, which I call my halo. I don't call it my halo rate. <laughs> like my full service rate. And he said, we can't quite do that, but I really want to work with you. And I have loved working with this client so much. And I talked to Steven and I said, Hey, it's, lower than what we would do full service wise. But I also talked to the client and said, Hey, am I stuck at this forever? And he said, absolutely not. We're in this growth, this growth phase. And as we continue to grow, we'll have more dollars to put behind content and copy and things like that. So I took it and I love it. And again, I love working with this client and we made that exception. But Steven talked to somebody the other day and they said, oh, we'd love to hire you, but we're not there yet. This is, you know, your business is an aspirational, it's like an aspirational vendor partnership that we would like to get to in the next six to 18 months. 
So they're going to keep in touch because they really love what we do. And we'd love to help them, but it's just not where we can be right now. And we're not willing to go back on this huge decision to move forward where we weren't before. And really, it was a it was a lifestyle thing, wanting to spend more time with the kids and with each other and not having to work all the time. So that's kind of how we came to that decision. But I'm sure it'll evolve again. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's so interesting that you say that because I've heard you mention the ICP, which we've talked about several times on several of his shows. If you haven't watched any of the past shows, do yourself a favor, go binge watch them because we talk about the ICP. I think it's come up, you know, at least maybe four or five times now. And ICP stands for ideal customer profile. So I heard that tip in there. And then I heard the tip about tiered pricing, right? So you kind of have your bottom of floor, like this is what I have to make essentially to to pay all my bills and make things work. Then there's that B level middle ground, which is what you want people to pick. And then you have the halo pricing, which is like the big, hairy, audacious goal, like the bag of pricings, right? But then you actually had three clients go for that. So that tells me you need to like flip that those tiers up again, right? Like, <laughs> but if I'm another agency listening and I wanted more advice than that, more than what we've just talked about, what are some common mistakes that you see agencies make when it comes to pricing their services? Because I know like you, like me, are friends with a lot of different agency owners. So what are some of the mistakes or horror stories you've heard? Some of the mistakes, I mean, I said that starting out pricing my business, like pricing to get the business. And yeah, it's a mistake that I feel like everybody has to make. Everybody has uh-huh. to because it's a, it's a comfort level thing, right? You're only going to be so comfortable setting your rate at a certain, you know, at a certain level. But other things I see are in the contracts. And when I redid my pricing, I revamped everything. So I looked at it and I said, okay, well, in the past, I've lost two clients in the same 24 hour period during tough economic times. They just pulled one day and it was one week into that month. And they said at the end of the month, so it, you know, we have to pull back significantly. So I didn't lose all of their business, but it was 65, 70% of my revenue at the time. Oh, wow. So one of the things that I would say is write it into your contracts. I do three, I do not do anything less than three months. Yeah. Do I do 90 day contracts. So you can, if things aren't working for some reason, you can come to me and we have two, a month in and we have two months left to turn the ship around, or you go with somebody else, which is totally fine. I haven't had anybody do that yet, but you're still going to pay me for the next two months because I need to be able to forecast and plan what my revenue is going to look like for the year. And that's really important. And it's taken me years and years to figure that out, those contracts. And you were one of the people actually, when I was talking to you about some of your contract structures, I was like, oh, I can do that. I can actually set those things. And some of the corporate clients, I require 30 days notice for if they're not going to renew or something like that. And some of the contracts are just three months. We know that it's three months going in if they want to renew, but you just kind of protect yourself by putting these in writing. And then once you put it in writing, it feels really good and you're done. Like you can step back from it and say, oh, I actually did it. And it makes it so much easier the next time to go through. So I see that. I tell people not to price hourly. And again, Brooke, you taught me this, where I remember I'd come to you a few years ago asking about pricing. And especially if you're just starting out or if you're a smaller agency and your clientele is smaller businesses or entrepreneurs or startups, 
anybody really just getting started or who need you to wear a lot of hats, you don't really think up front outside of the work you're going to do that you're going to deliver. You're not thinking about the extra phone calls that you're going to take or the, the extra meetings, the text messages, the emails you're going to sit and do, the teaching sessions, basically workshopping with these clients and explaining to them why outside of what you are actually handing over and delivering to them. So I always say, I say retainer. I don't like retainer because it has so many negative connotations with it. Oh, you're going to get paid regardless of what you turn in. No, that's in your, that isn't a good contract. Like I said, with the whole unlimited packages, but I now call it full service. You don't get more than, you get a dedicated writer. You don't get more than 40 hours a week from me. And I list out several different options and what that looks like. And I also, I do it for the month. And then I also look at it quarterly. So they get two different views of it. Because I'm not going to be, I'm, we're trying to build relationships with these clients, right? So we're not, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to just churn and burn like a lot of copywriting, I would say, where they just quick take it in. I want to do my research. I want to make sure you have enough rounds of revisions. I want to make sure that we are agreed with lead time. So that's something else that you can factor into your pricing, like the research. People don't factor that in either. And I feel like you get to know your clients if you're, you know, if you're worth the money, you get to know your clients' businesses. And that takes some research up front. So you have to build some of that discovery process in as well. Agreed. I mean, I love that you mentioned scope of work and deliverables because I think, you know, we think we're being as clear as possible with our scope of work. And if we do think that and we don't have deliverables listed, like what's to be expected, right? By the end of the engagement or every month or whatever it is, you can still get yourself tripped up. So yeah, I love the advice of kind of outlining what somebody gets for the scope of work as well as what deliverables should be expected. So I think that's good advice as well as like horror story advice. So can you take us through a couple of tips then that you would offer to agency owners who are listening or watching and say they're struggling with their pricing right now? What's like the number one or number two piece of advice that you could give them? I would say, first of all, are you targeting the right clients? I mean, because I feel like that's the number one thing. If you are targeting the right clients, you know how much, you should have a good idea, I'll say, how much money, like what their budget is approximately. If they have X amount of money to spend on outsourced marketing, whatever it is, whether it's ads or social media management or content creation, things like that. And then you say, okay, well, if I am not serving the right audience, if they're not serving me too, then I need to go back and just kind of rethink what that looks like. What we did was we sat down and we had financial goals. A lot of people talk about margin. They want a certain margin. And originally doing it, I was looking at, oh, I think it'll take me X number of hours to do this. And I want to make this amount of money. And now it's like, no, I know what I can do. And I have a good little team. And I can, I, I know what I can deliver in a certain amount of time. And I know what my financial goals are quarterly for the year. And I know, and I back into that number. So I advise people like if they are you know, trying to hit a certain revenue level, how can you back into that? Especially if you're doing tiered pricing, which I, I always recommend tiered pricing because then you can serve multiple audiences, but then you can kind of play with those numbers and say, well, I can take two tier one clients and one tier two client and one tier three clients. 
And if I get X number of those contracts a month or a quarter, then I'm able to hit this financial goal. If you're a margins person, yeah, look at the margin. That's that's great. Some people really get, and I did, I got really bogged down in the hourly, in the hourly rates, like how much am I making per hour? And is it is it taking me that amount of time? Is it not? And it was with a lot of the smaller clients that I had, and that's when I was like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do these smaller clients anymore. I love them and I will be a free resource for them for advice and things like that. But I just can't serve them the way that they need to be served while still being true to myself and the value that I bring. So again, I would say, number one, are you targeting the right clients? Number two, what is your financial goal, whether it's Mm -hmm. revenue or margin? And then number three, is it does that align with what you're willing to do and how you know, whether it's operationally or the lifestyle that you that you want to lead like hours wise. So, so if you want to work less hours and maintain the same number of clients, you have to increase your rates, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I love that you mentioned like backing into a margin or, or a goal, a financial goal that you have because forecasting is so important. I feel like we probably have to have another episode about the importance of forecasting for pricing, right? Because I know in my head I need to close four, you know, four smalls and two bigs or whatever it is, right? I've got that that goal in my in my head for the year when we do our forecasting. I'm just making a little note to myself that we should probably have a whole episode on how to forecast correctly. So speaking of forecasting, you know, my Alex for that one. Right. Oh, my gosh. My husband is Alex, by the way. That's who she's referring to. And he is a numbers guru. He yeah, he's amazing. But forecasting for this year, right? That's been hard. I've been talking to a lot of other agency owners and, you know, we're in this economic downturn. There's, you know, unsure attitudes about where we're going, if we're going to actually hit a for real recession or if inflation's cooling and we're going to be just fine. So knowing that it's kind of like one of those topsy-turvy years for forecasting or pricing, how do you recommend that agency owners respond to marketing trends, right? The cost of all of our tools are increasing. The cost of labor is increasing. What do you think about providing insight to your process for checking and reviewing and adjusting your pricing structure to maintain competitiveness, but also profitability, especially in a time like like now? I think it's a great question. And <laughs> Stephen and I, my husband, we talked about this. And it really comes down for us so again, I keep going back to it. I cannot, I'm belaboring the point, but I kind of feel like I can't touch on it enough because it's the number one thing that I see agencies and even big companies don't do super well is figuring out that audience. So I am targeting businesses that can support my rates. I don't actually have to have that conversation with them. I haven't had to have that conversation with them because I also know the value that I'm delivering. And it, it kind of goes back to the point of, this full service package. When I sell in a full service package, I am over delivering on value to them because it's so much easier for me to look at something and say, hey, you have a content opportunity here. You can break this up into, let's say we're writing an article. You can break this up into three separate articles. And let me show you what that looks like. I don't have to rescope it for them. They don't have to get approval. It's none of that. So it's really showing, I think, how much value you bring to that business. And then it's not really a 
a conversation unless they're unless they're drastically cutting headcount. And then I think that that has to do with you and your client relationship and having that discussion like, hey, you know, I love working with you and I'm willing to change my rates for the next quarter or something like that. But you have to have to be true to yourself. You have to be able to pay yourself, pay your employees, pay your bills. Like you said, cover all of your operating costs. And that's hard. But if you can price yourself in a position and and maybe you're pricing yourself, maybe you think maybe you have this halo package and it's more than you could ever dream of charging. Someone takes you up on it and that provides a cushion for anybody else. So if that in logistics and supply chain, we called it the penetration rate. So if you have one client that is paying all of your bills, I highly recommend that you diversify <laughs> your clients because you could, yes. them, you could lose them and then you'd kind of not be in a good spot. <laughs> I don't know how that's, I don't know how to say that super nicely, but. Oh no. I mean, we're saying that all the time, right? Like if we have four bigs, say we close those four bigs and we need, well, I forget what the example I gave and already was, but like we, we closed the four bigs, but we didn't close any smalls. That's not necessarily a good thing, right? Because we want to diversify in between that small, medium and large because, you know, the more you eggs you have in the basket, the easier it is to weather the storm. I kind of want to go a little bit further into value because I, I like so much about what you're saying. And I did a poll on LinkedIn, if, I don't know, a few months ago, and I said, what's the hardest part of marketing? And without a doubt, I mean, it was like 90 something percent of people who took the poll said showing the value, right? Proving the value. So how do you ensure that your pricing reflects both the value you provide and your operational costs, right? Because you're kind of balancing there. And you touched on it a little bit, but let's go a little bit further on it. Yeah. So when it comes to showing the value, people are scared to ask questions. Uh, some, depending on depending on your segment, you work with startups, they want you to be able to do well with ambiguity. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they don't have a brief, but if you can provide things to them. So I have a few large clients and their processes weren't quite there because they hadn't necessarily worked with specifically a copywriter aside from a large agency. And so I was able to provide a brief for them. And I said, take this brief, do what you want with it, share it with all the departments. I, it's, it's yours. They loved it. They continued to ask for more briefs. So I was able to give them more briefs because I have them. It didn't cost me anything. I'm happy to share it. It's going to make their processes easier for them. And it's going to make their processes easier for me as well. So that's that's one small example. And then, like I had said before, if you're if you are charging a what they would think or what you would think is a significant amount, think about what you're worth. Think about what you're actually delivering to them and just take it a take it a step further. You can always do something a little bit better. One of the value, so giving them a brief was was my example. But I've seen other people come back and say, hey, I went ahead and broke this up for you. This is extra value that I thought you could use. It wasn't part of my assignment, but I was doing it anyway. And maybe it's writing a meta description for an article. Maybe it is saying, hey, this is where I think that you can expand on this content. Here are some extra ideas if you're a content agency. Maybe it's a, you're coming to them with this new platform where maybe they're advertising on, and you know that I'm not, I'm not an advertiser, I'm not a digital advertiser. So I may have to put my foot in my mouth in a second, but a while back, the last time I was running ads, 
I know that Google commands a really high price, but Bing doesn't command as high a price and people would test out ads on Bing. And if they had, if they didn't have the budget to use Google, they could still get benchmarks from Bing. Things like that, just really thinking outside the box and taking things off of that client's plate that you're doing anyway, and you're just sharing it with them. You're just saying, hey, I'm going to give you some insight into this and you can take it or you can leave it. But I thought I would share that that is a huge value add. That's such a great value add too. And I'm thinking along the lines of, we've also been talking about AI a lot and ChatGPT. You could take the headline for this article that you're writing and ask ChatGPT to come up with like four more. And then when you send the document over to the client, you could say like, hey, here's, this one's created by me. Full disclosure, these are created by AI, but AI can be pretty catchy, right? So like, let me know what you like and we can move forward with everyone, whichever one you want. Or maybe it's a mix and match kind of situation, but that will take you three seconds to do, but it's a total value add to the client, right? I love that. So now let's move on to some red flags. <laughs> when it, yes, which we, I'm sure we have plenty to talk about here, but Moving on to client relationships, can you share some insights or experiences that you've had when you kind of get that red flag and something's indicated that maybe that's not the best client for you? Sure. If someone doesn't know who their audience is, <laughs> if they, or and when I say that, they could list off a ton of different people that are, I say people or businesses that are not related at all. And unless they follow that up immediately with some kind of well thought out strategy as to why they are targeting them. That makes sense. Then that's a huge red flag for me. And I do, I can do strategy all day, but that's not where I want to spend my time right now. And there's always a strategic conversation. And that's something where, Hey, I can refer you to somebody to help you with this content strategy, I would really like to help you execute the strategy and, and bring it to life and maybe add pieces to it. But to come up with that baseline strategy, I don't really want to do that anymore. I used to, I used to do it. I didn't get that, that ROE, that return on effort. So that's one of the red flags I would say is that audience piece. If they don't know who their audience is, or if they're telling you about their product or service and they're describing an audience that doesn't, sound at all like the right audience <laughs> that's a red flag yeah or if they or if they just kind of have no idea what they're doing yeah no I mean you don't even have to make the face we have we've all been there right I mean unfortunately that's the name of the game when you're an agency owner is sometimes you're going to have people come through your pipeline who aren't qualified and you're going to have to a have really set in stone amazing qualifications to understand if this this client, potential client is qualified, but also you need to be able to manage expectations on the other side when a client comes through who was good and then all of a sudden isn't anymore. So let's talk about that too. How do you professionally, hopefully professionally, I know you, you would do it professionally, <laughs> manage situations where a client just isn't aligning with your values or expectations? Like how do you, how does that go? From an expectation standpoint, one of the things that I do is I'll pull up the scope of work because I don't, I don't want to under deliver based on expectations. So it's let's walk back through the scope and see where we've gotten off track and let's realign here. Another thing is I've, I've had some clients in the past where it felt like between the weeks that we seven days between phone calls, they completely forgot what we talked about or what we agreed. 
So one of the things that I do, and several of my clients joke now, I use a tool called Otter. This is not a plug for Otter, by the way. I do love it. Yes. The transcription tool, it's crazy cheap and it records your conversation and it transcribes it at the same time. And I spend at, at least once a week, I go back to my notes with clients to make sure that I've understood. And if I need to, for certain clients, I will take the transcription and share it with them and say, this is why I did X, Y, and Z, because this is what my understanding was that we agreed on. Can you explain again, how can we realign or can you explain what you meant by this based on, and they have nothing to stand on at that. Right. It's not like a, Oh, I'm going to stick it to them. It's no, I really want to make sure that we understood because we both agreed on this. I have it in writing. <laughs> I also have it on recording, like on record in multiple ways. So here you go. And this is why I did what I did. And sometimes it is just a misunderstanding or they've changed their mind and that's totally fine. That's okay. But I want us to communicate about it. And that's a sometimes hard conversation. If it has to go, oh, well, I didn't mean X, Y, or Z. And then it's, well, can you help me? This is how I understood. This is how I understood it. And we can fix it. Absolutely. For next time. And then you have to set a, for next time, let's do X, Y, or Z. Now, do you want me to send you the transcript next time so you can review it along with the recap from the call or something that is hey, I want to make sure that we do this. It's all in good faith. You're always trying to fulfill the expectations and do your best. And sometimes there's misalignment. Yeah. I love that you brought up Otter AI, which we've talked about this on a past episode with a past guest. It's O-T-T-T-E-R dot A-I. And it's a fabulous tool. But to your point, there are like Microsoft, you know, we use, we're a Microsoft company. We use their 365 tools they now offer AI that joins the meetings and transcribes the meetings for you. And so, you know, one of the things I would suggest kind of leaning back on the conversation we had about agreements and contracts in our agreement, it says, you know, you agree to have us record the meeting with you so that we can make sure that quality assurance is happening. But it's kind of like you said, right? It's it's just really getting the receipts for what was really said yes. in a transcription or through a recording and being able to what we call CYA, cover your, I'll let you figure out that last part, <laughs> when it comes to managing clients, right? Because that's part of our job too. CYA is a part of every agency owner's job. Yes. <laughs> so receipts are important. Going back to something you said earlier, I have a, a question. We were talking about like the smalls, the mediums and the larges. What strategies have you found are effective for kind of balancing that need? between getting new clients and acquiring new, you know, new revenue stream into the into the company, but also the need for the right clients? Like, how do you balance that? I'm still figuring that out a bit. Because when I find a really good client, and they bring multiple lines of business to me, I'm not going to say no. But also, it can be it can be scary. And I've shared with you, I mean, recently, Stephen joined my team. And because he was laid off, during what I like to call the SVB crisis. <laughs> now it's more important than ever because I don't have a second stream of income. And, you know, you get that. You and Alex work together as well. And it's really important. So that's, and it comes down to who else is making the decisions with you. When Steven and I sit and make decisions and he says, oh, we want another level three client. I'm like, maybe we should do like a level, a level one or two client to kind of fill in some of those gaps. And right now we're just doing word of mouth for all of our 
it's really been a networking. It's really been a networking play, which has been really good. And we've really liked it, but it can be scary. And I, we are trying to find, we are trying to find that balance when something that I did a couple years ago now was when I was trying to, before I niched down completely, it kind of started my niching down into more of the copywriting content creation side of things. I looked externally. So there's a company called Marketer Hire and I signed up with them. Yeah. And that brought business to me. And from that business, I networked, met other people. It's a freelance platform, but they'll hire agencies or any people who are freelancing. And I was able to take those clients, meet other people who were freelancing or running little agencies, solo agencies. And they introduced me to other people. So, I mean, it was just this really cool, very giving network of people and talking to them and really communicating with them. I think that the marketing agency world is really, it's a really giving space. But sometimes if you meet the wrong ones, it feels really competitive because we're all kind of doing the same things. But that idea of reciprocity and that idea of, Hey, I'll refer business to you if it's not the right, I do that same thing, but this isn't the right client for me, or you're just getting started. Or, you know, I think I've told you before, like, oh, I have somebody that you could call, but they're not, they're not the easiest to work with. Right. Yeah. Yes. But then the ball's in your court if you want to pursue it or not. But it's like, hey, I know you do what this person needs or what this company needs. I don't do it or I do it and I don't want to do it for them heads up. I promised them I would refer them to people or whatever it is. So I am still fulfilling my promise, but it's kind of up to you whether or not you want to pursue something like that. And so I think that that's, that's important. There really need to be more conversations and people being willing to open, open doors for others when it comes to that. And then it is harder though, I will say from finding smaller clients, there's a beautiful thing Smaller clients often don't have the same demands that larger clients that are paying a higher ticket item for. I mean, let's just be real. They just don't. They don't require the same amount of attention. They also know that. They also know that if you're if they're paying for your lowest SLA, then they're not, it's not like you're going to do mediocre work for them. It's just going to be easier for you. And you're still delivering this value to them. So there's something really nice about that. And if you want to back into those numbers and figure out, okay, well, I'd rather work with 10 small clients than three big clients this year to protect myself, to diversify my client portfolio, if you will, then that's something that you can do. And I've heard veterans say, oh, you want to work with the smaller clients because if one leaves, they're a lot easier to replace. You don't have to work quite as hard. They're not as you know, they're not necessarily as high touch, hands on. And then some of them are. You just kind of, they just kind of are. You just, I don't even know if I your question, but it got me to thinking about all the, all the. No, you did. And I'm so glad you brought up agencies helping agencies because I'm so glad this show is around because that's essentially what we're trying to do, right? Is be a resource for agency owners or agency marketers to help you figure out what the playbook is because. As Donna's been saying, we, we've had so many conversations with 
each other about what our, our, our ICP is, what we're looking for, what we're trying to do, what our aspirations are, what our monetary goals are. And when you explain that to other agency owners who complement what you do, but don't, nece- don't necessarily compete, it can be a big, big boon for business. Donna's brought me several clients who we work with, some of them, you know, Fortune 500 brands. And yeah, it was all from just knowing who I, who I needed to get in front of and explaining to you what my goals were and what we do and working hand in hand. And in return, you know, I've sent some stuff your way. So I just think that's a really important factor that you need to think about if you're an agency owner. Try to have an abundance mentality rather than seeing other agency owners as competition. Some of them are, as Donna mentioned. But if you build a relationship with these other agency owners, over time, you'll start to understand who has like that we attitude versus that me attitude. And I think it's really important to find those we attitude people and and stick close with them. So thanks for bringing that up because I just, I love that so much. There's a thing in there, and Brooke, you and I have talked about this, where I like to do copywriting. That's, like I said, I can do the content strategy. But there are other people that live and breathe the strategy piece. And I would be more than happy to say, hey, can we split this? I want to bring you business, but I really want to work with this client. And this is what the piece that I would like to take. And I'll take the backseat and I'll take direction from you. And you can lead it without, like you said, this abundance mentality. They're not the scarcity mentality. I encourage people to think outside the box on how they can partner with other people. Even if you feel that one part of their business might be competing with yours, ask to share it. And if it's your client that you're taking to them and you don't like their response, it's still your client. You don't have, you know, you don't, yeah. you're, you're offering it up and it's for them to say yes or no to and, and setting that up. Yeah, I agree. So it really all goes back to knowing your ideal customer profile. <laughs> uh, right? Am I right or wrong? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it really is so true. And obviously it's come up a lot of it times in past episodes. So I think we'll continue to talk about the ICP for everyone who watches or listens. For the last question, Donna, just tell everybody what you're working on. Where can they find you? How can they connect? How can they bask in your wonderful glow of pricing and content tips? (laughs) Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Donna Mostrom, D-O-N-N-A. M-O-S-T-R-O-M. You can visit my website at damnsmartmarketing.co, just .co. And damn is an expletive. So spell it out with pride like I do. (laughs) That that whittles down some of my clients too. I remember when we came up with the idea and my sister said, what about darn? I said, well, it's not very powerful. And she said, well, aren't going to offend people. And I said, I don't want to work with those companies. They're not my ICP. Yeah, I love it. Yes. Full circle. And you can find some, if you're thinking about hiring a copywriter, we have a little PDF on 10 must have questions to ask your next copywriter. Oh, that's a great resource. So everybody go download that from damnsmartmarketing.co, C-O, not C-O-M. She's a not com like me. We not commerce. We're so creative. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Donna, for joining us. I had a great time just chatting with you about pricing and the ICP and forecasting, all of the cool things that will really help you be a better agency owner. We'll see everybody next time. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the show, be sure to give us a follow. 
If you've been a longtime listener, let your friends know about the show. I'm at Brooke Sellis on Instagram and Twitter. And for fun, make sure you tag at SM Examiner. Also, be sure to check out our other shows, the Social Media Marketing Podcast and the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. This brings us to the end of this week's Marketing Agency Show. We'll catch you next week as we explore the adventures of marketing agency life. The Marketing Agency Show is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.